Hi everyone, welcome to the Being Giants podcast, a show by academics for academics. I'm one of your hosts, Joyce Yeager, and today I'm talking with Rochelle Verna, my co-host. We'll talk about her academic path thus far and where she may head in the future. Hi, Rochelle. Great to have you on today. Hi, Joyce. Thank you for, you know, featuring me. <laughs> um, all right. So, of course, Rochelle is the other host of this podcast, but today we want to, I just want to hear about your academic journey and where you are now and where you might be headed um, or your scientific journey. Um, so why don't we start out with what you're up to now for work and where you think you might be going? Right. So right now I am a data scientist, like a data science specialist um, for a utility company in Southern California, SoCal Edison. Um, and pretty much what I do there is I work out of the, the energy procurement department. So that's the department that's responsible for the buying and selling of energy. And the team that I'm on essentially uh, helps support all of the other teams um, that are within that department. So if there's a report that needs to be done or if there's some type of like analytics that needs to be done, then others across the department will come to us and we try to figure out how to get that thing done so that they can do their jobs better. Um, as far as uh, where I see myself going, I think at this point in my journey, uh, like I have a lot of options. So I honestly, I'm just trying to make sure that at every step of the way that I'm doing something that I want to do. So right now I very much want to apply to PhD programs and get my way back into academia and do do some research. And so how is that process going? What kind of PhD programs are you looking for? And, you know, what's the timeline look like? How have you spoken to potential advisors? Right, right. So the the PhD process has been a complicated one for me because it's something that has been on my radar or has been on my plate for the last two and a half years or so from when I graduated from undergrad, which is about two years, yeah, about two years now. And um, and pr- pretty much, like, the, some of the programs that I'm, like, I guess that I'm considering right now are going to be in the realms of, like, earth science specifically, something in the realms of uh, atmospheric science. Um, but it took me a while for me to get to this point because I was trying to figure out like what is it that I was interested in in the most so coming out of undergrad I had a lot of different interests like I've been interested in energy I have a interest in astronomy uh, physics and earth sciences and stuff so for a while um, I don't know I thought that like having such a wide range of interests um, was problematic when it came to uh, applying for grad school and stuff, only because, I don't know, at least like the things that I've been told throughout my journey, throughout my grad school journey, is that you need to be 100% on 
on this uh, thing that you're trying to study for your PhD because, you know, you don't just do a PhD, you know, for the hell of it, you do a PhD in a certain area because you're truly passionate about that thing and you want to learn more and like be able to contribute to the overall, you know, knowledge of, uh, of that field or, or whatever the case might be. So, um, it took me a little minute. I felt like I had to, like, I needed some more time beyond undergrad to like maybe try a couple things here and then here and there to like do like a process of elimination thing to get to this point where I'm at. So, um, in the past I have, uh, like I have emailed potential, uh, PhD advisors and stuff, but then like I ultimately ended up not applying during those past uh, application cycles and stuff. So right now, I I mean I'm pretty familiar with the process and stuff. So this time around, I'm gonna make sure that I actually submit <laughs> applications <laughs> and see what happens. Wow, awesome! And good luck. Thank you. And I'm really excited to kind of keep you updating me and our listeners maybe on like how that process is going because I think it's a yeah it's it's definitely an easier process if you know where it's going like I think the more people you know who've already applied for PhD programs and like the more knowledge you have the kind of more transparent the process is yeah yeah no no for sure I totally agree and um one of the reasons why I want to make sure that I apply now is because I mean with everything going on with uh with the coronavirus and stuff, uh, interest in grad schools, or at least like the, the requirements anyways, they're a little lax. So for example, things that would have been an obstacle like prior, such as like taking the GRE and stuff, there's a lot of schools that don't have that. So it's like, okay, now I feel like I have an opportunity to like create my applications and like show where I, I really shine and, you know, be like, hey, I'm more than just like numbers and stuff. Like I have a lot of experience um, in certain things. And I think because of that, I can be a really good fit in, in someone's lab. So, yeah, I think your background in data science and all the other things you've worked on should make you a super appealing candidate. So I'm really excited. Well, thank you, <laughs> Joyce. Hopefully somebody else, you know, thinks so too. A professor <laughs> thinks so. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, no, yeah. I'll definitely, uh, be documenting my process or like this journey for me as uh, as we go along through this show. Sweet. So <clears throat> can you talk about kind of more of your background and how you got interested in science and how you ended up majoring in earth science at USC? Yeah. Uh, my, my interest in science overall stems from the third grade. Um, I had this great uh, science teacher, uh, Ms. Johnson, who made science seem very appealing and really fun. And, you know, we take these trips to our school library, this frequent trips and stuff. And um, I would end up checking out all these books regarding like planets or galaxies or stuff like hurricanes, like earth science stuff, but like astronomy stuff. And I think I got to a point where like, I, I ended up reading like almost everything that our library had to offer um, at that, like at that point in time and stuff. So my teacher realizing this, uh, she definitely did a, a, I think she did a good job at trying to like help grow this interest of mine. 
um and she definitely went a little bit uh, like a, a little bit above and beyond to answer uh whatever questions that I might have had or to help me think about things in a certain way and from that point on as I started going through grade school um I kind of had an idea of some of the things that I found interesting so one of the things that I would do as a hobby would be watching like science documentaries and like reading upon like past famous scientists and stuff and you know just like immersing myself in that in that world and uh from that point on it was like okay this is something that I was like you know really interested in but crazy enough when it came time for me to apply for college like I never really thought of it I never really thought about doing anything in science um and I don't really know why I just it just really wasn't in my mind I felt like maybe it was due to the kind of high school that I went to because I went to a technical high school and so what that means is that like everyone ends up being put into academies so you end up learning a trade so my trade specifically was commercial art so I was doing stuff with Photoshop Illustrator uh, doing a lot of product design and all the other good stuff so I was doing something that was like really creative so all the kids who were interested in like STEM you know science math engineering uh, they were in the Cambridge Academy which I definitely was not and there was definitely like a stigma um, associated with those kids and stuff so um, I felt like going into college like okay you know maybe that's like something that I shouldn't do so then I applied to school as a communications major um and then like at the very last second I was like okay you know what forget this I'm gonna I'm gonna switch my major to to physics I'm not sure if I'll stick with physics but I feel like you know if I'm gonna go to college at least you know let it be something that's you know that that's gonna be challenging and something that you know I would find interested interesting Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I, I did that, went over, so I started college at Miami-Dade College, which is community college at Miami, well, in Miami, and, um, spent the two years there just taking, uh, the, like, lower, lower divs, lower requirements and stuff, your, your, your calculus is your chemistry, your physics and stuff, and then, um, I ended up transferring to USC, which is where I met you. And um, I transferred to USC as a physics major, and I was, you know, I was there trying to like fill my way and stuff. In like the first semester that I was there, I ended up taking this uh, um, general ed class uh, on earthquakes. So that was really my introduction to earth science as a major itself. And like after the end of that semester, I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. I think, you know being able to take courses in the earth sciences would be dope so I ultimately ended up switching my major to geological science and the rest has been history. So I wonder I know that you've done some really cool projects when you were in undergrad um, some research projects and I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about those because I think and also how you got them like how you got connected Um, with the programs or faculty so like my freshman year in in college um right out the gate like the first summer summer before uh my freshman year um there was this summer bridge program that Miami-Dade 
college was doing and like I applied for that and it was essentially my first internship um it didn't it paid it didn't pay a lot but at the same time like it was really good because like one I got to do a team project and then at the same time uh the the program coordinators did a really good job of trying to expose us to the different things that you can do um in the stem field um so like one of the cool like one of the cool things that we did outside of the project that we were working on was getting to visit a a a data center um that's located uh in downtown miami and it was like one of the coolest things um that i had seen so doing that program in my first like like the summer right before my freshman year like it made me realize like the importance of trying to uh secure internship opportunities or research opportunities for the summer so i was fortunate enough to be able to do something every summer that i was um that i was in undergrad so um i did like after that summer uh then the following summer uh miami dade has like this like pool of internships that you can apply to and um i applied and then i was fortunate enough to do an internship over at St. Thomas University, which is also located in Miami. And there I did a project uh, like creating, that involved creating a box model uh, of the the carbon cycle uh, and to see how uh, the concentration of carbon uh, changes uh, with time. So that was kind of like my introduction to computational stuff that you can do uh, with with science and stuff and then beyond that like the next summer I actually ended up doing like I applied for the same program again but like I ended up doing an internship that was like not related to anything <laughs> that I wanted to do <laughs> um, and it was uh, it was with uh, the University of Florida uh, at their Davy campus um, and like I ended up working with this guy who uh, who specialized in termites so hmm. yeah so like I'm not really you know that big and like you know on insects and like biology and stuff but that um that experience in itself was pretty interesting because it it was the first time that like I had been in a lab setting and like having to like document like what I was doing um very frequently and stuff so like there were a lot of skills I felt like that I um ended up picking up on and like I got to use some like pretty cool equipment in the process such as like these really like like this really dope one of those microscopes which had like amazing uh resolution and stuff like that so it it was it exposed me to a lot of um uh interesting things for sure was that what kind of research was the termite lab doing like behavior or genetics or what kind of stuff so pretty much in South Florida, like you can, there are like three different um, species of termites uh, that exist. And one of the species appeared to be a hybrid of the other two. So he was trying to figure out whether or not if you measure certain attributes of like physical attributes of these termites, would you be able to classify them like correctly? So he, he was essentially trying to figure out like, I guess like, you know, if I measure a set of key attributes, yeah, can you tell them apart and stuff? What was the result? Uh, the result was that yeah, you could tell them apart, for oh, for nice. sure. Yeah, cause um, like if the the termite was like a, a hybrid, 
if it was like a hybrid species then like the its antenna uh would be you know would fall within like a certain range in terms of uh length and like also like its body would also have like a would, would be in a certain range as well so yeah so it was pretty interesting it was kind of gross but also like pretty interesting <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah i i was more um i was so proud of myself because i finished because i thought like at some point i was just gonna be like listen i can't do this uh this is weird this is like freaky but i don't know i, I stuck it through and it, it uh it ended up being very beneficial for me that's so funny because I don't think we've ever I don't think you've ever mentioned that you did any like biology research so I'm really surprised yeah no actually not a lot of people know that (laughs) actually I don't I don't think I've really uh ever disclosed that um with (laughs) it's um, not in your cv or anything it's 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 really not so like I took I've taken it off of my cv only because I felt like it would be this like rogue element on my on my cv like huh okay i see i i see how everything else is connected but this one thing here <laughs> this doesn't make sense yeah. but yeah so were those also paid internships like the box model and the termite project because i noticed you said the first one that you did in between high school and college was a paid internship yeah so all of them were were paid well that's so good i think it's kind of like um I mean, I know people are definitely talking about it, but I think it's really important to pay undergraduate interns because it, like, values their time and also you end up, like, not taking advantage. And I think, you, yeah, I think grant money should be allocated to interns whenever possible. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think I think anytime you're doing any kind of work, I think you should get paid for it because at the end of the day, you have to live, right? Like I have to be able to buy food and like, I'm, you know, like kids, you know, college kids are broke, you know, money is important. So it's important to, uh, I guess, like provide some type of reward. Yeah. Or not even a reward, just like, yeah, a payment. Like, yeah, I think there's a, in academia, sometimes there can be this attitude that like, the work itself is worth it, which can be true, but it's like, well, you can't eat your papers. Like. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's cool and all, but at the same time, like, like I could be work like, instead of doing this, like, summer internship, like, I could be working somewhere and, like, making money <laughs> and, like, you know, saving for expenses that I might have for the upcoming semester. So, it doesn't have to be a lot, but at least, like, you know, pay you know pay your interns i i I will advocate for that 100 percent of the time but um to to finish answering your your prior question so after i did like the biology research once i got to usc um i ended up interning with the southern california earthquake center and then like from there i like well there i was a hazards and risks visualization intern so just like my research had to deal with uh taking earthquake scenarios and then just highlighting like you know what are some of the risks that those scenarios pose to the southern california region so i ended up getting to do that for a summer full-time and then i got extended to then be a student researcher for like an additional year and a half oh awesome yeah 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 and then and then i ended up getting an internship with uh southern california edison and which ended up turning into a full-time 
job. Can you give me a better sense of like how SCAC, the Southern California Earthquake Center SCAC is housed in the same building as the USC Earth Science Department. So we're mm-hmm. all sharing a building. But for me, being on like the more geology side than the seismology side, it was very like separate for me. But mm-hmm. I feel like you really bridged the two and like... I don't know. I feel like SCEC is really interesting because it's like an academic piece, but it's also like trying to communicate with the public. Like, do you, uh, I don't know, like how did being in SCEC, do you think it like influenced where you went next or like how you're thinking about, yeah, like communication and stuff like that? My time at SCEC was really interesting because like, it's not like I I never really thought of like seismology as something that I would like I, I would have been interested in. Um, mm-hmm. I was looking for internships for that summer and it just so happens uh, that was like a, a great opportunity. Oh, okay. And yeah, so, um, and then like at the same time, like one of my professors like went to bat for me <laughs> in order to get this, uh, in, in order for me to get the internship in uh, in the first place. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, it ended up working out. But in terms of uh, like, I guess like, SCEC was really interesting in the sense that um, like some of the tools and like just how they were going about or how they do go about um, their earthquake research, uh, it's really interesting. And those things are things that you can see that they easily translate to uh, the management of other natural disasters that uh, other regions are faced with. So for like, for example, like, because Skek, you know, Skek doesn't only just do the research, but they also try to do the the press, um, the, the press component as well, the communications component. So there's a lot of time that is spent on trying to figure out, okay, how to best communicate uh, the, like, the technical information that we have going on here. And how do, how do we make this information of, uh, of, of use to the general audience. So with the work that I was doing, um, I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, how do you, how do you communicate technical information to the public? Um, yeah, and, and that was great because I mean, as I mentioned to you before, when I was applying to schools, I was, a, I was gonna apply, I applied as a communications uh, major, so, it was really cool to be able to like do communication in science because it gave me an idea of like, okay, what could this look like if I were to do like science communication? Um, Definitely. I mean, it it was on the, like on a small scale, but at the same time, you can see that it was very important work. Yeah. And I feel like it's, I mean, there's, yeah, it's so hard sometimes for scientists to communicate their science well. And so any skill that you have in doing that, I mean, including like this podcast, it's like it's huge because there's a lot of people who don't get any practice or training mm-hmm. science communicating. And yeah, the more practice you have, the easier. Is that so like you you mentioned that it's um kind of related it could relate to other natural disasters and things like fires and hurricanes come to my mind is that something that's at all on your mind as you apply to phd programs like would you want to also kind of do the atmospheric science side of like science communication and hazards or 
Is that not something you're thinking about? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's definitely something that uh, I'll, I'll be thinking about um, as I go to like apply to like PhD programs and stuff because um, me being a South Florida native grew up with hurricanes and stuff and um, you know n- knowing like you know the preparation you know for a hurricane and stuff like that so like you know that's something that I'm, I'm accustomed to and I've grown really interested in but um, I feel like uh, if you do end up doing you know anything in the geosciences to a certain degree you do end up touching upon like like hazards and risk like because you know like people will ask you well like okay if you're doing geochemistry like you're doing geochemistry and all but like how does this you know how does this how is this work meaningful with you know when it, with, with respect to what's going on today in like modern day society and stuff like that so I always feel like people who end up being in the uh, earth science under the earth science umbrella end up doing some like the, their work is connected to some form of hazards or risks. So for me, I do enjoy, um, I do enjoy that type of work. So like right now, uh, like working at this utility company and dealing with energy and stuff, like I think, you know, I guess planning for a sustainable future is uh, really cool and something that like everything, everyone should be on board with. But at the same time, one of the things that I enjoy the most about my job is being able to think about like what are the ha- like you know what are some of the the challenges or hazards associated with uh, with electricity and providing electricity and stuff because like uh, you know for, for example you just because like solar panels you know work in one region that doesn't necessarily make them an optimal solution for another region and stuff so then you start to see how like the energy profile of the united states is very different um depending on where you are so like for example on the east coast east coast uses a lot of nuclear power whereas the west coast not so much um and then like well if you're using nuclear power then you're like well what are the risks and you know what are the hazards and risks associated with that so yeah so stuff like that i've always found to be interesting only because I think I think the reason why I've found that type of work to be interesting is because in everything that I'm doing like I always want to try to be helpful and Mm -hmm. and useful so as long as like the type of work that I'm doing allows me to feel that way then I ultimately end up enjoying what I do because I know that the work that I'm doing it like goes a long way and it helps others out yeah that's awesome I wonder if you can talk about your like or like some of the problems that you see in science because of course when we started talking earlier this year we talked a lot about the publishing industry and problems within that and so I wonder if you can talk about kind of how you started thinking about the broader problems in science and yeah where I kind of think of you as almost a futurist like you have a vision for what could be better. And so I wonder if you could talk about, yeah, what problems you see in science and how they might be solved and some of the, and also I even your data science background, like your part of your job is to clean up data, um, which is something we've talked about before. And yeah, I just wonder if you could talk about some of the problems you see in science and where to go. Right. Um, 
Well, in the light of uh, some of the events that have uh, occurred this year uh, regarding like uh, like racial injustice or like social injustices and stuff, specifically with the uh, George Floyd uh, murder uh, a few months ago, um, like that that incident really caused uh, a lot of people to kind of just like stop and just assess you know their environment and you know to see you know is there something wrong here and me being african-american uh being the child of like immigrants who are of uh caribbean descent specifically haiti and stuff like that um i also ended up having to do that myself um Mm. because for me i like i've never really uh experience racism um like directly you know like you know Mm -hmm. someone is you know like spewing out uh derogatory terms at me and stuff like that I've like never really experienced that so for me even though while going through undergrad and stuff like that I would oftentimes be one of few or maybe the only African-American or like black person in my classroom and stuff I Mm -hmm. I felt like I was always like assessed or like judged fairly or treated fairly based Mm -hmm. off of like you know what I could do but it wasn't up until uh you know the summer after the the George Floyd murder where I started to think about like what my like what my experience truly had been so even though I've 100% think I have been treated fairly and stuff like I realized that the path that I've taken to go through academia, like I had to end up sacrificing a lot of the things that made me me. So like being around individuals who look like me, who uh, have, you know, who had like the a similar upbringing uh, mm-hmm. as me and stuff like that. So even though like I've met people, great people uh, at USC, um, and like at conferences that I've like been to and stuff at the end of the day I mean like it's really not the same you know like it's 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 different when you can like do like when you can do like professional work with someone who understands uh where you come from Mm -hmm. uh it's like it's it's like there's a certain level of appreciation it's like okay you understand you understand me and Mm -hmm. I think that's something that uh that was missing uh from my academic experience and to a certain degree till you know till this day obviously you know with you know the coronavirus and stuff like that you know Mm -hmm. most students are like not really being on campuses and stuff but um that's definitely you know something that i think is an issue and i think it's an issue specifically in science because like i it's 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 an issue in science because you know there there's been these campaigns i want to say since like i was growing up like going through grade school to try to get more minorities uh involved in in stem uh however and i think like a lot of those campaigns like they have been successful you don't have to get like a, a huge bunch of individuals and stuff but i mean as long as you're able to like you know connect with a few individuals to like you know expand their horizons and be like hey you know this is something that you can do you know it's okay to be interested in these things and stuff um i ultimately think that like 
even though there has been this big push to get minorities involved in STEM, the the system doesn't necessarily favor them all too well. In the sense that, like, say, for example, like, you know, you go through undergrad and stuff, right? And now it's time for you to apply uh, to PhD programs and stuff. Well, there's a, you know, there are a few things that, you know, that comes with that. Like, number one, I feel like uh, the GRE, like having to take the GRE is, um, it's not all too, uh, it's not, I don't think it's a, a good metric to, to serve as, uh, as, as an entry point into, uh, grad school. And I would say the same thing for the SAT as well for like at the undergrad level, only because like, aren't, aren't there like statistical predictions to that? Like your race can dictate your score and so therefore the ra- the tests are kind of inherently racist yes. yeah it's inherently biased <laughs> yeah 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 no no for sure um yeah for sure for sure uh that that's definitely one aspect uh but the point that i was gonna touch upon like in addition to that um like there's also the fact that like kids you know there are kids who end up going to schools to grade schools that are in disadvantaged communities and stuff so like the quality of education is not the same so next thing you know you you want to put me you want to try to assess me in this you know you want to judge me with respect to someone who had like a far more superior uh educational experience than me off bat I'm at a disadvantage right like all of a sudden I can't really uh I can't really get into like, you know, big name schools unless, you know, I, I, I had to do something differently to, to overcome the environmental uh, challenges uh, that I, I, you know, that you end up having to grow up with and stuff. So I would say, you know, from that perspective, I feel like a lot of, of the STEM field, like STEM field disciplines and stuff, they don't necessarily uh, account for that. And ultimately, I think it like hurts the growth of these fields because like an example I would give is uh, physics. Um, Physics in the sense that like physics has more or less kind of looked the same over the last like, I don't know, 60, 70 years or so. And like there really isn't much diversity. And like I've had some interesting conversations with professors who are just like, yeah, no, we we have to address, you know, the minority problem uh, in a different way because who's to say that, like, you know, we wouldn't have been a lot further along if we didn't have, like, individuals coming from, like, you know, diverse backgrounds who can, like, you mm-hmm. know, tackle problems in a different way as opposed to just, like, you know, recruiting, you know, the person, who, you know, the, the, the type of candidate that fits, like, you know, a certain profile. Like right. you're looking for like certain stats and stuff, and then in the process of looking for uh, those statistical uh, measures, you end up getting like you know one type. Yeah, you end up getting white males. <laughs> so white males who went to maybe fancy private schools and exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, the way I see like that problem being fixed is uh, like I definitely I see some like programs such as like post bachelor programs so like instead of a post doc there's like mm-hmm. post uh backs mm-hmm. and um you so these are opportunities for you to be able to take some courses where you, you you can improve upon a certain area 
but then at the same time have the opportunity to do some research and then like uh, connect with some researchers who can help you uh, end up getting into into grad school and stuff so that's one thing and I, I think like the, the application cycles overall for for PhDs um, mm-hmm. I think different programs are starting to change the way that they evaluate uh, a candidate so so yeah I mean we'll see yeah I haven't even I feel kind of silly admitting this but I have barely understood what a post back is mm-hmm. and like what kind of role it plays and I wonder if that is partly yeah like part of the problem is that it's like maybe an undervalued credential almost right um me personally I didn't really know what a post back was and honestly I wish like once once I stumbled upon uh like the existence of them I wish it was something that I knew uh coming out of undergrad because I think I might have done that as opposed to doing my master's yeah yeah I think I, that's something that I would have done but like I think like post back programs like a, a majority of them are kind of geared towards like mid school and mm. and so it's like you know it, it's an opportunity for people who want to do a career change uh you know they can go ahead apply to these post back programs and then you know take the pre-med requirements and study for the MCAT and all that other good stuff uh it's a way to to do that so um you'll see a lot of post back programs that are tailored for uh med school and i think uh seeing how successful those programs are then you had like different like disciplines who started to incorporate postbacks and what they do so for me i discovered postbacks through like looking for stuff regarding astrophysics and then that's how like i ended up discovering that like uh uh princeton had a postback program in columbia also had one so does uh u chicago but like you know they all stay you know they, they're not the same like they have like different um I don't know they have like certain things that make uh, their programs unique but uh yeah I know that this is definitely a thing and then like ultimately uh uh APS the this like the Academic Society for Physics they um have their own like post back program that essentially involves a network of uh institutions mm-hmm. um as well so in in their purpose you know or like at least like their goal is to target minorities and stuff so i think it's just uh one not necessarily known but then at the same time like there really isn't a lot of these programs but i I think me personally i think that's something that i would like to see uh be incorporated a little bit more and Mm -hmm. be like presented as an option for people as opposed to having to settle to go for a, a master's program which can be really expensive depending on the school that you go to Right. Yeah. It's like, and, it, and is a post back is that a usually less expensive and then a shorter amount of time? Right. So it it depends. Some of them cost money, depending on what you're trying to do. Some of them cost money. Uh, some of them could be a year, and some of them could be two years. I've never seen one that's gone beyond two years. Okay. Um, but it's kind of like, like you're like you you ultimately end up being like a, a research assistant. 
<laughs> um, where you do get a little bit of pay, you do end up like taking some courses, but it's not like you're granted a degree or anything to that effect. It's just something mm-hmm. that you can do to uh, help you be a better candidate for the next step. Wow. I Yeah, that's so cool. And I guess, yeah, if more departments were offering, yeah, there'd just be more opportunity. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting to me because, yeah, like you mentioned, there's been attention for sure on getting more minority for lack of a better word candidates into science as kids like says you know high school programs and like efforts kind of in elementary schools but yeah it seems like after during and after college it it seems like it's a lot harder to like make those programs so I like the idea Mm -hmm. of like some of these societies sponsoring postbacks too yeah yeah. yeah, no, no. I think uh, they're a, a great engine for uh, for making career changes, for sure. Cool. All right. So to close out, what is your goal for the podcast? Right. So the goal for this podcast is to capture uh, people's experiences through academia because I feel like even though there's a lot of information out there, about the different things that you can do in academia like it's very it's still very taboo like there's still a lot of like fogginess and stuff and it's mm-hmm. really difficult to to get information at times so I felt like you know by creating this platform where you can talk to like various people who are at various points through their academic careers I felt like that's something that could be beneficial for someone who's just trying to find their way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because there is no straight path in academia, you know, like you have individuals who go through undergrad and then they just jump straight into a PhD program, or you have mm-hmm. individuals who, uh, instead of jumping straight into a PhD program, they take some time off, they work, and then, you know, or they, they go ahead and they do a master's or something to that effect, or they end up having kids or other things in life, you know, Mm kind of just uh, gets in the way and stuff like that. But, you know, they're still able to navigate and make something work, you know, for them. So the idea really of this podcast is to just really create like a rich source of uh, information for Mm -hmm. people to, you know, to, to, to decipher and like gain some inspiration from. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great yeah, great. And I feel like already we've yeah, we already have a really broad range of perspectives and we've only talked to a total of 3 people. So, there <laughs> are many paths. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh but like I was telling you uh before this, like I'm very excited to just get out there and like talk to people and to see how else we can expand upon the the podcast, um, mm-hmm. especially as uh, you know we we venture into a post COVID world and things start to return a little bit back to normal or whatever normal will be uh, mm-hmm. that at that point in time. But I feel like this is something that can be of tremendous value to everybody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you, Joyce. It's always great talking to you. (laughs) 
That's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media pages for any updates, and we'll see you next time.